0: Greetings to you all. Welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. If you are new here or haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Thank you in advance. Let's pick up where we left off, shall we? Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in to get warm, and prepare for this continued dose of vocal melatonin. Here we go. Right after this intro and ad will play, and then right before the story begins, I'll play another ad, and there will be no more ads within this video. Disclaimer, some of the content within these stories may be unsettling for some. Listening discretion is advised. Part 6 When I started out as a rookie, no one had told me a lot about the job in terms of weird things that could happen. I'm assuming this was largely to prevent me from freaking out and abandoning the park. But a few months into my service, when I was still a rookie, a friend and I were drunk at a party, and he opened up a bit. Yeah, it can get a little crazy out there, I guess. I think the worst are the ones where people die when they just shouldn't, you know? Or when we find them dead like ten minutes after someone says they saw them last, they were fine when I passed them on the switchback I swear that sort of shit like take this guy who I found one spring out on a really popular trail, someone comes into the BC freaking out about some guy who's lying in the middle of the path in this giant pool of blood so we run out there and we find this guy dead as a doornail which he probably should be because the back of his head is like mashed potatoes. The skull is decimated, brains are leaking out like custard filling, and the guy's old, so you figured, yeah, he probably fell and hit his head. Old people fall all the time, it's no big deal. Except that this area, where he fell, doesn't have any big rocks. There's not even any stumps or big branches. And on top of that, there's no blood trail. So he clearly died where he dropped. Now, that's when you turn to murder, but there were people just out of line of sight with the guy. If someone came up behind him and murdered him, there's no way someone wouldn't have heard. And again, even if someone had, there'd be a blood trail splatter all over the place. But everyone on the scene said it looked exactly like he'd fallen and smashed his head on a rock. So, what the hell did he hit his head on? And then there was this lady I found in a different park about five years later, back when I was upstate. We found her in the middle of a stand of big junipers, curled around the trunk, like she was hugging it. We pick her up to move her, and a freaking waterfall comes out of her mouth. Splashes all over my shoes. Her clothes are dry and her hair is dry, but the amount of water in her lungs and stomach was phenomenal. Unreal, man. Coroner's report? Hmm, says the cause of death was drowning. Her lungs were completely full of water. This, even though we're in the middle of the high desert and there isn't a body of water for miles. No puddles, no nothing. No signs of anyone else being out there. I mean, yeah, it's possible they were murdered, but why go out of the way to do it like that? Why not just stab them and be done with it? I don't know. It just sits weird with me. Now, of course, that freaked me out a little, but we were wasted, and I guess I sort of wrote it off as a fluke. I always assumed there was exaggeration there, since, you know, we were wasted. Now, I don't like talking about this next case very much. It was an awful one that I've done my best to forget about. But of course, that's easier said than done. This happened about six months after the conversation with my friend at the bar. And up until that point, I hadn't had a lot of really weird shit go down. A few things here and there, and of course the stairs, but it's amazingly easy to get used to stuff like that when it's treated as if it's normal. This case was a little different. A guy with Down syndrome in his 20s went missing after his family lost sight of him on a major path. That was odd in and of itself, because this guy never left his mom's side. She was absolutely convinced he'd been kidnapped, and unfortunately, a ranger who isn't with the park anymore insinuated that no one was going to kidnap someone. Well, with that kind of disability, not very tactful, to say the least. We wasted a lot of time trying to calm her down enough to get information about him, and then we put in an official missing persons call. Because of the urgency of the situation, him being mostly unable to function alone, we had local police come in and help us. We didn't find him the first night, which was heartbreaking. None of us wanted to think of him being alone out there. We assumed he just kept wandering, and was staying ahead of us. We brought out helis the next day and they spotted him in a little canyon. I helped bring him back up but he was in bad shape, and I think we all knew he wasn't going to make it. He'd fallen and had broken his spine and couldn't fill his lower half. He'd also broken both his legs, one at the femur, and he had lost a lot of blood. He was confused and scared while he was alone, so he would probably exasperated the injuries by dragging himself a little ways. I know it sounds awful, but... While I was riding in the copter with him, I asked him why he wandered off. I just wanted something to tell his mother, to let her know it wasn't her fault, because he was fading fast and I didn't think she'd get to ask him herself. He was crying, and he said something about how the little sad boy had wanted to come and play. He said the little boy wanted to trade so he could go home. Then he closed his eyes, and when he woke up again, he was in the canyon. I'm not sure that's exactly what he said, but it was what I thought the gist of it was. He kept crying, asking where his mommy was, and I held his hand and tried my best to keep him calm. "'It was so cold out there,' he kept saying that over and over. "'It was so cold out there. My legs were frozen.' It was so cold out there. It's cold in me. He was getting even weaker, so he eventually stopped talking, and he closed his eyes for a while. Then, when we were about five minutes from the hospital, he looked right at me, with these big tears running down his face, and he said, Mama won't see me no more. Love, Mama. Wish she was here. And he closed his eyes, and he just never woke up. It was horrible, and I don't like talking about it. That case was one of the first ones that really rattled me badly. Because of how badly it affected me, I reached out to a senior ranger, and they ended up helping me through it. As time went on, and we got to know each other better, he ended up sharing one of his own stories with me. It was disturbing, but it helped me know that I wasn't the only one affected by these things going on out there. I think this must have happened before you got here, because I think if it had happened while you were here, you'd have remembered it. I know it didn't end up in the news for some reason, but I think some people who've been here long enough know about it. The park sold off a portion of land to a logging company, and it was a really controversial thing. But, it wasn't that large or old of a plot, and it was right after the recession, so we needed cash, really badly. Anyway, they were failing this plot of land, and we get a call that we need to get our supervisors out right away. I don't know why, but they ended up sending me and a few other guys along with the heads. I guess for power and numbers to see what was up. We got there, and all these guys are crowded around a tree that they've just cut down. They're all pissed off and freaking out. And the foreman comes over and says he wants to know what we think we're up to. What the hell y'all think this is? Some kind of sick joke? You got a lot of freaking nerve pulling this shit. We bought this lane fair and square. Well... We don't know what the hell he's talking about, so he brings us over to this failed tree and points at it and tells us that when they cut it down, it was just like this, and they'll be damned if they put it there. The inside of the tree was all rotted out and hollow in one spot, and when they cut it down, it had exposed that chamber, and inside it was a hand, like a perfectly severed hand and looks like it's actually fused with the inside of the tree. Well, now we think they're pulling a joke, so we tell them that we don't like being messed with, and we start to leave. But they tell us we've already called the cops, and that they'll go right to the media if we don't stick around. Well, that gets the head's attention, so they stick around and talk to the police about it. Everyone is denying that they put a hand in there, And besides, how would anyone have done it? It's clearly a real hand, but it's not mummified or skeletal. It's brand new, probably not even a day old, and it is definitely fused with the wood. You can see that it's coming right out of it. The loggers, they insist that they didn't put it in there. Somehow this fresh human hand ended up fused to the inside of this living tree, The cops have them cut up that section of tree into a movable chunk. Then they take the hand away and the area is closed off. There was a pretty big investigation, but I know they didn't find or get any answers. Now it's become this legend, and as far as I know, we haven't sold any more property for logging. As you all know, I went to a training seminar recently and heard some amazing and horrible things there. One of the guys I talked to while I was there told me a story when we were all around the campfire one night. We were both pretty drunk. You'll see a pattern here. And we were swapping stories. He told me this one. Me and another guy were out on a field search because some campers reported screaming noises at night. So we head out there to look for whatever freaking mountain lion had wandered into the area, and I'm pissed. We've had three of them show up in the camping areas that year alone, and I'm getting tired as hell of constantly having to deal with them. Plus, I just don't like them anyway. They're a pain in the ass, and they're loud, and they scare the shit out of me. Freaking cats, man. Pieces of shit. I'm groaning about it to the guy I'm with and he thinks it's a real freaking riot. So we're seeing all these broken branches and what looks like dens and we're pretty sure we know where this thing is. I call in and they tell me to confirm if possible. Which you know just means that they want you to step into a big pile of shit and use that as proof. I'm not seeing any though, so I basically tell him to shove it. I'm done. We know the damn thing's out there somewhere, even if I'm not stepping in its shit or inside its mouth or whatever. Guy I'm with wanders off to take a piss or whatever, and I stay behind watching this little burrow under a tree to see if maybe a fox or something is living under it. Because I love foxes, man. They're cute as hell. But anyway... I'm watching this tree and I start hearing branches crackling and it's coming from the direction my partner went opposite of. Now I've got my pistol, but you and I both know that's not going to do shit against a cat. I cock it and holler for my partner to get his dumb ass back here, but he's too far and he can't hear me. I stand up and get my sights on where the thing is approaching and I shit you not man. I just about pissed myself. This guy is coming toward me, and he's backflipping through the effing woods. Like instead of walking, he's doing these crazy effing backflips, and I swear to God he cleared every freaking log and bush in his path. It was like he knew right where he was going. I yell at the guy to stop right where he is. That I'm pointing a gun right at him, but he keeps coming, and I just kind of lost it. I shot at the ground in front of him, and it was a dumb freaking thing to do. But man, I didn't want this guy anywhere near me. When I fired, he was about 50 yards from me, and as soon as the gun goes off, he whirls around and goes off, backflipping back into the woods." My partner hears my gun go off and runs back and asks what's up, and I tell him there's some freaking weirdo out here, hopped up on God knows what, and we need to get the hell out of Dodge. I let the cops know what happened, and I didn't get in any trouble for firing, but man, I don't know what that mother effer was on, but I've never seen anything like that before. Shit was absolutely but effing crazy. I think we can agree that there's stuff going on out here in the woods. And while I'm not to spout off about what it could be or offer any theories, what I want people to take away from all of this is that it is so damn important to be safe when you're out there alone. I know a lot of you think you're invincible, but the fact is that you can die out there or be hurt or go missing. It's easier than you'd ever imagine. Part 7 One of the topics that I get asked a lot about here in real life involve things like the Rake, the Wendigo, and other related legends. I can't honestly say that I know a lot about any of them. But based on some light reading I did, I can say that I've heard stories that seem to be loosely related to them. You've heard the old adage that legends like that come from somewhere, and I'm sure that's true. But as you all know, I do try to take things with a grain of salt. You have to, out here. It's sort of like working in a hospital, I'd imagine. You could spend all day thinking about how many people have died there, and how there are probably ghosts, or whatever you want to call them, all over the place. But it doesn't do you any good. It just makes it harder to do your job. I think a lot of us feel that way, and that's why we try to just go about our work like everything is fine. Once you get paranoid, there's not really any going back and a lot of cadets quit because of it. My park especially seems to have a high turnover rate because the cadets graduate and get so freaked out about everything, and they can't seem to let it go. You have to learn to internalize things and shut off. I've talked to KD about her experience because I wanted to know what she thought about the Wendigo. She didn't really have anything in particular to say about it, Aside from that, she didn't want to think about it that much, but she told me a friend of hers had had something similar happen. I contacted this person, H, over Skype, and they agreed to talk to me a bit. They're aware of my work here, and they're fine with me posting the story exactly as they wrote it. Here is that story. I grew up in Central Oregon, and there's a reservation called Warm Springs about two or so hours from where I lived. I only mention that because a lot of people in my area have friends there, and a lot of the land in that area belongs to that tribe. When I was a kid, we used to go camping up there. Not on the rez, of course, but in that area, and I met a lot of kids who grew up there. I got to know one kid really well. His name was Nolan, and we ended up hanging out a lot when our families were in the area. Our folks got to know each other, so we'd all get in touch and camp out around the same time. We'd camp for about two weeks, so we were out there for a long time. I asked him if he camped in an RV. Yeah, my dad had one, so I guess it wasn't really camping, but we'd take our tents and stuff and set them out of the way from camp most nights. I didn't like sleeping in there because I like being outside. We talked for a bit about camping. So, anyway, sorry. One year, Nolan and I went out there. I think we must have been like 12 or so. We wanted to go out and camp near the river because we wanted to try night fishing. I think we must have been about a third of a mile from the main camp. Far enough away that we couldn't hear or see anyone. I do remember that. We were messing around most of the day. I don't really remember much about it, but we ended up building a fire at some point, and I was really impressed because he had his flint or something that he used to start it. I'd never seen anyone do that before, so I thought it was pretty cool. I got him to teach me how to do it, and we lit some fun stuff on fire, which, looking back, was really stupid because it was the middle of freaking summer, and if I remember right... The fire warning was either at yellow or orange, but thankfully we didn't start anything major. And, when it got dark, we sat down and talked about whatever it is twelve-year-olds talk about. I don't really remember. What I do remember is that at some point, he looked over my shoulder at the river and asked me if I could see anything. The way our camp was set up, we were about ten feet from the river, and we were on the widest point so it was probably about 20 feet to the other bank. It gets hot up there in the summer, but the water's still cold, which is important. I look over my shoulder, and I could see something wading in the river on the other side. From where we were, it looked like a deer, but we couldn't really tell because of the fire. I got up to look closer, and I saw a pair of antlers, so I figured it was a buck. But I thought it was weird that it was wading into the water and it was definitely heading for us, and I asked no one what he thought we should do. He's looking at the fire with this weird expression, and he tells me to sit down and shut up. So, I do. Because I'd never seen him act that way before. He's whispering at me to ignore it, and to just keep talking like we were, but I couldn't think of anything to say. He was saying something about an episode of some show, but... I could hear the deer coming through the water. So I wasn't really paying any attention, and I kept trying to see over his shoulder. But every time I did, he'd sort of hit me on the arm and make me look at him. I wasn't really scared, I remember. I was just sort of confused. But then I hear the deer come out of the water, and I could kind of make out what it looked like and I realized it wasn't a deer because whatever it was, was walking on two legs. I started to get up. I was super freaked out, but Nolan just yanked me back down and talked louder about this television show, and I could tell he was just as scared as I was, probably even more. He leaned in and poked the fire with a stick, and he whispered that whatever I do, I cannot speak to it. I could see it come closer, and it stood right behind Nolan's back. I was about ready to piss my pants, and I think I'd probably have run if I'd have been alone. But I didn't want to leave Nolan, so I kept sitting really still and sneaking glances at it. It wasn't that tall, but the way it carried itself was just wrong like its center of balance was screwed up or something, I can't really describe it, but it was kind of like it kept shifting too far forward. It just stood there behind Nolan for a long time, and eventually Nolan ran out of things to say, and we just kind of sat there for a second. The fire was making noise, but I thought I could hear this thing talking in a really low voice. I couldn't hear what it was saying, and I leaned forward a tiny little bit. And I actually did piss my pants when it leaned forward, too. I couldn't see its face, but I saw its eyes. They were cloudy and milky, and if you want to know what they look like, find that scene from Lord of the Rings where Frodo falls into that lake and all the dead people are floating toward him. That's what its eyes look like. So, all I saw were these two white eyes floating above Nolan's head, and the really vague shape of the antlers coming out of its head. I don't know what my face looked like, but at exactly the same time, Nolan and I freaking booked it out of there, and we ran non-stop until we got back to the main camp. My pants were soaked with piss, so I took them off as we were running and threw them in the bushes. We both stopped once we were in front of my dad's RV, and we couldn't see anything chasing us, so we stood there and caught our breath. I asked him what that thing was, but he said he didn't know. He said his grandpa had only warned him that if anything ever came up to him when he was out in the desert, he was never, ever supposed to talk to it or listen to anything it had to say. I wanted to know if he'd heard it talking too, and he said that the only thing he'd been able to understand was, help you. I think we ended up sleeping in the RV with my parents, and the next night we went back out, we didn't see anything. That does remind me, in a lot of ways, of the Wendigo legend. There's a phrase used to describe it that I think fits perfectly which is that the Wendigo is the spirit of the lonely places. I know sometimes when I'm out in the wild, where I know there's no one around me for miles and miles, I get this kind of craving that I can't really explain. I don't know if it happens to anyone else, but it's the desire to consume. It's not like I crave anything in particular, but more of this weird distracting hunger that comes from every part of my gut. I also wanted to find out more about the faceless man, if I was able, and found a few similar things. I asked around my circle of friends and one of them said he was out doing repairs at a park in his area. He saw something kind of like that. We were having dinner in town, five of us including myself. This guy. He was repainting an information booth and heard a man ask him for directions to the nearest campsite. He didn't turn around because he was up on a ladder, but he informed the man that there weren't any campsites nearby, but that if he headed down the road about four miles, he'd find one at another park. He asked if he could be of any other help, but the man said no and thanked him. My friend said he kept painting but he was listening and never heard the man leave. The second he came up and talked to me, my hairs on my neck stood up, but I wasn't sure why. I just had this really uneasy feeling about the whole thing, and I wanted to finish painting and get out of there. I figured maybe part of it was that I couldn't turn around to look at him, but something just felt... off. There was also this weird smell floating around even before the guy talked to me. Kind of like old period blood. I had looked around to see what was causing it, but I didn't find anything. So, I waited for the guy to walk away, but I couldn't hear him leave, which made me think he was just standing there and watching me. So, I asked again if I could do anything for him, and he didn't answer. I knew he was there though, because I hadn't heard him leave. So I did this awkward turn on the ladder to look down and see what he was doing. Now I admit it could have been just my brain messing up, but I swear to you Russ, for a split second when I turned around, that fucker didn't have a face. Like he had no face. It was almost concave and totally smooth and I just about had a freaking heart attack because I couldn't even wrap my brain around what I was seeing. I think I started to say something, but there was this kind of pop inside my head, and suddenly, he was just a normal-looking guy. I must have looked weird because he asked me if I was okay, and I was just like, "Uh, ''Yeah, I'm fine.'' He asks about the campsite again, and I point to where he has to go, and he's like, I'm not from around here, can you help me get there? Now this is when I know something is really up, because there's no way this guy got out here and didn't know where he was. And for that matter, there's no car around, so how did he get there in the first place? I said I was sorry, but that I couldn't take him anywhere in a company vehicle. And he's like, Please, I really don't know where I am. Can you come with me and just help me get there? So now I'm seriously weirded out, and I start wondering if this is some kind of ambush or whatever. I told him I could call him a taxi to come out and take him where he wants to go. And I pull out my phone. And he just goes, no, and walks away really quickly. But he doesn't walk out of the park. He backs out into the freaking trees. And I got right in my freaking truck and started to get out of there. Screw the paint or whatever. I looked in my mirror to see where he was. As I was leaving and he was just standing right at the tree line again. I don't know how he got there so fast. But this time, I know that fucker didn't have a face. He was just watching me leave, and right before I turned the corner, he took a big step back into the trees and kind of dissolved, I guess. Maybe it was just dark so he blended in, but it felt more like he just melted away. Interestingly, right after this guy finished his story, someone piped up with another one, but with a slightly different twist. You know, actually, I had something sort of weird like that happen a while back. I was out doing some trail scouting, and I was out in the middle of nowhere, figuring out where we were going to have this trail run, though. I hadn't seen anyone else for probably a good two hours. So, I wasn't really paying attention to where I was going. I was just looking at the ground for the most part. Then, out of nowhere, I crested this little hill and almost ran into this guy. He was older, probably in his 60s, and I started to apologize to him for running into him. And then, I noticed his face, and I probably looked like a complete douchebag. Because I stopped and just stared at him. It took me a second to figure out what was wrong. But this guy's face was huge. I know that sounds weird, but that's the only way I can describe it. His head wasn't big or anything, it was normal. But the amount of space his face took up was just way too much. Like if you look at someone's face and enlarged it all by about two times... He doesn't say anything. He just kind of looks at me, and I backed up, and was kind of stuttering and saying I was sorry, and I went around him and freaking got out of there, and did what I needed to do. The whole time, I kept looking behind me because I was so freaked out that he'd pop up behind me or something. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I swear to you, it was one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. I switched the topic to the stairs a little later, and there was a definite shift in enthusiasm. No one spoke up at first. There is a real stigma around discussing them, even when we're away from work. But I broke the ice with a story of my own, and the guy who told the story about the faceless man told this one, albeit very quietly. A couple years ago, I was camping with my girlfriend, and we're out in about two miles from the road at this site I know. We went to bed that night, but we couldn't sleep because... Someone interjected a funny comment, and we were dangerously close to going off on another subject, but I got us back on track. Yeah, really funny. No, it was because we kept hearing the grinding noise. My brother used to grind his teeth in his sleep, and it kind of reminds me of that. My girlfriend was freaking out, but I just kept telling her to ignore it. Because I've heard it before, and you just have to ignore it. It goes away eventually, you guys know what I mean. We all knew what he meant. So, eventually I got her to sleep, but I woke up probably two hours later, because something just was off i rolled over and she wasn't there and i kind of freaked out because he thought for a second and then he took a very long drink (sighs) anyway i ran out of the tent calling her name but i didn't have too far to go she was standing at the edge of the camp looking at something in the trees and i could see she was really pale The fire was low, but bright enough to see her. Anyway, so I ran up to see what was going on, and she was dead asleep, but her eyes were wide open. She had this real spaced-out look, you know? So I put my arm around her to lead her back, but she would not move. She just said really quietly something like, ''I have to go now, Eddie.'' I have to go. It's here. I was like, you're just sleepwalking, come back to bed. But she wouldn't budge. She just kept standing there and saying that she had to go. And I looked where she was looking, and there was a freaking staircase right there about 15 yards away. Graywin. Concrete. Concrete. And she started to walk towards it, but I yanked her back and that woke her up. She looked at me like I was out of my effing mind, and she asked what the hell she was doing out of the tent. I didn't tell her anything. I just told her she was sleepwalking. The grinding was gone. So she just went back to the tent with me and fell asleep again. I don't know. I don't like thinking about it, you know? We all knew. You guys remember that kid with... uh, I can't remember what it was. Some kind of brain fuck-up? Not Downs, but something like it. Someone else brought it up. Well, I got to read the report he gave when they found him a week after he went missing and it was screwed up beyond belief. I mean, you have to take it with a grain of salt because who knows what that kid actually thinks is real. But some of this stuff, I, I don't think he could have made up. What do you mean? Like what? Well, at first, he talked about the stairs. He said he's been watching his dad build a fire and the stars came up to him, and he had to go up them or something bad would happen. The cops couldn't really understand what he was talking about after that, because he just kept saying, like the campfire, over and over, and he kept mentioning sounds, but he couldn't say what sounds, just that it was loud and he covered his ears so he couldn't hear them anymore. But the thing I remember most is they asked him where exactly he'd gone, and he just said he was right there. He kept pointing at himself, and they said they thought that meant that he thought he'd never left. He said he wasn't scared because the stairs were there, and he said they talked to him, but not like people talk. Like I said, I was really convoluted and hard to understand, but I have a feeling the cops didn't take most of it down. They ended up just saying that the kid had some kind of amnesia or fatigue, and that they didn't like foul play was involved. Doesn't really explain why he came back a week later perfectly fine without a speck of dirt on him, and well fed. But hey, whatever the cop says always goes. The Finale This will be my final update for now. Things have deteriorated here to a degree that I did not foresee. I did not know how much writing about the things that are happening out here would affect every single part of my life. And maybe that was stupid of me. Maybe I should have considered it more seriously. But honestly, I just thought I was writing about things that a few people would want to hear. I didn't think it would get this much attention. People ask me about the stairs now. It doesn't happen every day, but when it does happen, I never really know what to say. My bosses know someone is talking about them. And I'm sure that if they know, the higher-ups know. And I can tell you that they are not happy about it. I've been formally told that I am not to speak a word about them to anyone anymore. Which is part of the reason this has to be my final update. I can't risk my job for this. As much as it's been wonderful to get a lot of things off my mind, I still do love my work and I need to be out here. If anything, my being aware of what's really going on is enough reason to stick it out. I may not be able to tell people that they're out there, but if I see them, I can direct traffic away to somewhere safer. Because of the amount of attention the stories have gotten, I've heard a lot of stories being swapped back and forth. I've heard so many people, I can't even remember most of them. The ones I do remember are the ones that I wished I could forget. One story that's made the rounds here was about a young woman who disappeared upstate. Initially, everyone assumed she was a runaway. She didn't come from a great home life. And so it really wasn't any kind of surprise that she'd choose to cut and run but people started coming forward saying they'd seen her around the park shortly before she vanished. So, some of the rangers in the area were sent out to make sure she hadn't hung herself or something on any of the black trails. It took them a while, but they did find her. Well, not all of her. Just half of her tongue and a quarter of the lower jaw. Very clean cuts from what I heard. They've never found the rest of her. So many stories about children, so many of them going missing and turning up in caves, wedged in between impossibly tight spaces. So many of them found on mountain peaks or at the bottom of sheer gullies, missing shoes, missing socks, or found with both in perfect condition despite them being miles and miles away from where they had vanished. So many stories of black eyed people wandering around the woods and calling out into the night, mimicking the sound of running water or a bobcat screaming. One man in particular goes to every news station he thinks will listen to him and tells the same story. He was deer hunting, had camped out in a very remote area, and woke up because something was scraping against his tent. He thought it was a raccoon or a fox until the thing pressed its face against the door of the tent, at which point he could very clearly make out a human nose and mouth. He kicked at it, but it leapt back and was gone by the time he opened the tent flap, gun at his side. He fired two warning shots, and when the sound had faded, he heard a snap behind him. A man was standing at the edge of the campsite. This man was not wearing any clothing, but he also didn't possess any kind of human flesh. As this hunter described it, man was made of some sort of amalgamation of raw meat and hair, as if somebody had scooped up roadkill and molded it into a vague shape of a man. The face was lumpy and only a rough approximation of the human face. The thing opened its lopsided mouth, and from it came the sound of a gun the hunter had fired. It did this twice before mimicking the sound of the tent zipper and fling into the night. A young couple, out for a hike in the rocky areas of my park, reported to me yesterday that they had seen something strange out on a peak I'm very familiar with. They were taking turns looking through a pair of binoculars when the man noticed a hiker climbing up a very steep part of the cliff face. He watched the man scale the slope, and it didn't occur to him, until the incident was over, that this person had no climbing gear. When the climber reached the top of the peak, which was about five miles away, they turned and faced the young man. He said whoever or whatever this person was, was looking right at them. The climber waved in an exaggerated manner before snapping in half at the waist, sideways, and leaping off the peak. The young man didn't see where the climber landed. I sent them on their way with assurances that I'd check it out. I lied. I won't be turning in a report. Because there are ten others exactly like it. The climber is well known in that area. I don't question it anymore. There are so many things I won't ever be able to understand about my job. And it would take me years to relate all of the things I've heard in the last few months. Which I feel like my job isn't in jeopardy. I will come back. It may be a different format, but I will come back. Thank you all for sticking by my side and enjoying the things I've talked about. If you go out into the woods, I encourage you to be safe. Bring water, food, survival equipment. Let people know where you're going and when you'll be back. Don't go on uncharted paths unless you know exactly what you are doing. And, above all, don't touch them, don't look at them, don't go up to them. And now, dear listeners, I'm bringing you two bonus stories that was attached to this series. I hope you enjoy. It's been a while, hasn't it? I know everyone says it, but time has this really strange way of flowing when you're an adult. I guess I'm at that age where I'm in between being a kid and getting old, or maybe that's your entire life, in between things, who knows. It's summer now, which means we're dealing with a massive influx of people in the parks. We're in incredibly popular camping destinations because of our large amount of campsites and various scenic areas. And, in the summer season, these camps are almost always operating at almost too full capacity at any given time. We are well-staffed, and all of us know what to look for, what to expect. I have teams standing by in the event of any kind of emergency. Even so, people still manage to slip away. In response to a couple of other incidents at the same site, we installed a camper near the entrance, and a ranger stays out there every night. We rotate so everyone spends one night a week there. I choose Wednesdays, as these tend to be relatively low-key with only our long-term guys around. This particular day had been humid, like the inside of a locked car. All of us were relatively miserable, but the camper had a small AC unit, and the campers and I took turns sitting in it until the sun went down. We all bedded down, and I had the AC turned up as high as it would go. It's a loud unit, so I had earplugs in. The camper is tiny, but comfortable, and I fell asleep relatively quickly. I woke up in total silence and it took me a minute to realize that there was a problem. The A.C. had stopped and there was absolutely no sound around. I sat up and the sheets didn't make any noise. I clapped, nothing. I yelled, nothing. This has happened to me before. I'm a firm believer that it's some kind of strange acoustical phenomenon, but I don't think it's caused by the wind. I got out of my bed and yanked all my boots and flew out the door. I ran to the edge of the campsite, about 500 feet away. And somewhere behind the trees, there was something darker than the space around it. I headed for it but I must have misjudged its distance because it took longer to get there than it should have. They'd split a tree in half. I've seen lightning do that a few times, but not this cleanly. This cut was surgical, if you will. The bushes underneath it had been crushed, and I could faintly make out the shape of something furry. A raccoon, I suspected. The intestines bursting out of its eye sockets were already attracting flies. The stairs were concrete, old. I could make out the lines of graffiti on the lower steps. A metal handrail bowed out haphazardly. Most of the supports bent or gone. Ten, maybe twelve steps. In a rush, The sound of the world came back and I heard the faint electrical snap of a fly exploding near my ear. I sprinted back to camp. I grabbed the rifle out of the pickup I'd taken to the site and stood at the edge of camp, my back to the woods. I stood there and watched until the sun came up. I watched the whole camp, every single tent. I know I never fell asleep. And no one came into or out of our camp, so I really don't know how the woman got away. Her tent was in my direct line of sight, as best as I can guess. She must have gotten out when I was turned away for a second. They're hopeful that she's still alive, of course, but I think we'll have to close that part of the park for a while. Officially, we'll be keeping an eye on things, but I wouldn't take much comfort in that. We're keeping an eye on a lot of things. Here is the last part of this finale. I'm on call 24 hours a day now. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but it pays the bills and sometimes they let me leave early or take extra days off if I'm tired. There's not that much going on at night, of course, but occasionally one of us has to run out and deal with something. An animal sighting, a missing person, drunk people shooting at each other, you know, that sort of thing. All in all, I get called out about a dozen times a month for some kind of nighttime emergency. Generally, the calls go something like this. A text and a phone call from my boss. 15 minutes to get out the door, dressed in my uniform. 30 to work, then anywhere from 5 minutes to 8 hours, dealing with the issue. If it's a missing person or the cops are involved, up to 2 days without sleep. The worst was a murder-suicide. That took a week. By the end of it, I was in the hospital with severe fatigue and dehydration. My boss knows I'll pick up as soon as he calls, but I don't always hear texts. Usually, he'll text first in case I'm up, but otherwise, he'll get me on the phone. He is the only one who contacts me in these situations. That's because between our system in the past. So you can imagine my surprise when I got a call from him at 2 in the morning and saw I had 770 missed text messages from just about every single person in our department. Yeah, what's up? I said, sitting up. I'm great at faking being awake on the phone. <laughs> Cleetwood Trail, South Entrance. <laughs> It's bad. Don't worry about your clothes. Just get out there. (laughs) He was breathing heavy, and he didn't wait for me to finish my greeting. Uh, What's up? I was concerned now. My boss is unflappable. (laughs) Just just get out there. It's bad. Of course, I immediately thought of the murder-suicide. It took us days to find all the pieces of their skulls. Uh, uh, how bad? Katie is on her way. Call when you figured it out. He hung up. He'd never sent another ranger up before me. I scrolled through the barrage of text messages. Oh my God, Russ, what the hell is going on? Dude, what the hell? I'm sorry. What's going on out there? Call me. Call, insert boss's name here, right now, oh my god. I threw my clothes on and was out the door in about five minutes. The drive took about 15 minutes, going 90 on the freeway. And along the way, my phone kept pinging notifications. I turned it off and tossed it into the back seat. When I got there, Katie was waiting for me. Something about her face was wrong and in the non-existent light I had to get close to her to see that she was wearing a respirator. The smell was like a wall. I ran into it about five feet from her and gagged. I took the respirator she handed me and strapped it on, coughing and doubled over. Bad, huh? She quipped, her voice muffled. She patted me on the back. Ugh, come on. I followed her into the forest, and even behind the filters, I could still smell it. Believe me, it bothers me as much as it does anyone else when people say that something is indescribable. But I really do not know how to paint an accurate picture of what it was like. Imagine taking a fish and filling it full of other dead fish. Put the stuffed fish in a bag made out of skin of even more dead fish and leave the bag sitting in the sun for a few days. Sprinkle some halitosis and rotting grass on top of the bag. Let it sit another few days. Now open the bag and stick your head in and take a nice big breath. That should give you an idea of what it was like from half a mile away. It was hard to be heard through the respirators, so we didn't talk much while we walked. Neither of us really wanted our mouths open anyway. I kept thinking about how smells are composed of particulate, and a few times I had to stop and lift the respirator to spit and dry heave. Katie clapped me on my back, almost knocking me off balance and sending my spit flying. Gross, huh? She said half-shallying. Don't worry. It only gets worse from here. I gave her a weak thumbs up and we kept going. She'd taken the van with our on-site equipment inside, and she'd been there long enough to have carted a couple of portable spotlights to the scene. As we crested a hill, I could see them shining on something. Something huge. The top of the thing crested out of the trees in place a huge grey behemoth. I shot her a look and she just grinned and waved me ahead. The smell was thick enough now to almost be visible and something crunched under my feet. The robin I'd crushed was still alive and it raised one wing, weakly. I crushed its skull and moved on, but there were others. They remained where they had fallen. Their sides heaving and an occasional wing raised and dropped. "'Smell got him, I think,' Katie said, kicking a bird off the path. "'There's a raccoon up here, too. Took one bite and... died. It was hilarious. Come look.' I stepped around the birds and the light filtered through the trees, shining on their little oil-drop eyes." The path straightened and up ahead I could see that the hulking thing, whatever it was, had fallen right across it, about 300 yards ahead. I broke into a jog and Katie kept pace. I went as close as I could until the smell was too much, and then I just stood while Katie kept going. She kicked the thing and spread her arms out, taking it all in. The way she'd illuminated it, only parts were really visible. It rose up, an impenetrable wall, and disappeared into the tops of the trees. The sporadic but careful lighting gave it an almost reverent quality, like an artifact on display. Either way, I looked. The thing stretched into the dark. Katie walked the length of it to my right until I could barely make her out in the dark. I craned my head up and could see the edge, where it curved and dipped back down. I forced myself closer to the rubbery surface of the thing. It was grayish, darker in the light, and the surface was scarred and stippled with white marks. Katie came back and walked down to the left. ''Come here,'' she called. I followed, not taking my eyes off the thing. We walked, kept walking, her hand sometimes brushing the thing. And up ahead now, I could see something sticking out of the side of the wall. Know what it is now? I could hear that she was grinning, enjoying the mystery. It was some kind of thick flap, huge, bigger than both of us combined. One side was attached to the other. It hung to the ground, where it rested in the dirt. At the place where the flap joined the wall, there were strange protrusions. Ignoring the spell now, I looked closer. There were many of them, in various sizes. Small, grainy craters. That's when the pieces fit together and I backed off, stumbling over myself and almost falling into the dirt. Katie lifted the pectoral flipper with great effort. You imagine how strong they have to be to move these things. Wish it still had its tail. I ran forward and kept going until above my head I could see something reflecting the light. Just barely. Something liquid and glassy just beginning to fog with bacteria and decay. The mouth was slightly open, and the algae in the baleen was beginning to rot. Suddenly, there was a loud, wheezing exhale, and the thing moved, just slightly. The mouth opened, showing more of the slimy, putrid baleen, and from somewhere far down, on the other end, there was a creak and a thud I felt rather than heard. Holy shit, Katie whispered thought it died an hour ago. You feel that? It's still trying. The milky eye moved to look at me, and there was another, weaker exhale. And as we stared at each other, the well opened its mouth a little more, closed it, and died. The light left the blind eye, and the entire corpse sagged, letting off more of that horrific stench. Katie was still talking. It's another of those clean cuts, right through the whole back of it. If you go around the other side, it's missing that fin and a big slice of its skin, but the tail's totally gone. I couldn't break away, couldn't stop looking into the cataract that was forming. All the bacteria now free to multiply and turn everything to liquid. Though, the baleen, I could just make out the bulk of the tongue, and it was already losing color, already being eaten from the inside. And I ran as far away as I could before doubling over and vomiting. Katie came over and patted my back. When it was over, I wiped my mouth and put the respirator back on. Now I went back to the corpse and began walking around the length of it shutting off every light. I couldn't stand to see it lit so beautifully. I honestly don't even know what to call, Katie said. Down at the other end, I could see the clean slice where the tail had been taken off. No boat propeller could have done it, but that was no surprise. I knew what had. I wondered how big they had been, down there in the deepest dark, where only wells could go. It answered a theory I had for some time. The stairs were impartial. Deep down in my gut, there was a glassy, obsidian panic that was so familiar now as to be unnoticeable except when more weight was added. Suddenly, more than anything, I wanted to be at home in the dark, and I told Katie who to call. What to do so that I could hand her my respirator and begin to walk back to my truck. Never looking back at the corpse cresting the trees, the top of it growing its own forest of birds feasting. We'll leave it to rot. We'll say a waterspout sucked up fish from one of the lakes and dumped them out there. When the bones are the only thing left, we'll dispose of them and the trail will be reopened. I drove back home and went to bed. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to this series entitled I'm a Search and Rescue Officer for the U.S. Forest Service. Thank you all so much for sticking with me through this series, as I found it rather fun to actually narrate. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this amazing series. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.